some of the people that have more power to drive sales are actually have a very small following. And it's all about the fact that they have a very engaged and niche audience. Hi, before we get to this week's podcast, I'd like to tell you that Automated Creative are releasing a book called How to Make It in Marketing, Volume 1. It is a collection of the best marketing career advice we've had from over 200 episodes of the Shiny New Object podcast. You'll hear from some of the biggest, brightest and best names in the industry showing you telling you how to grow your career. You can reserve yourself a copy at this URL. So get your pens out. It's bit.ly, so B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash make it in marketing. So that's bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash make it in marketing. But the make it in marketing bit is in capital letters. So bit.ly forward slash lowercase and the rest is make it in marketing uppercase. I think you should get your heads around that and enjoy. It's a great read. Hello and welcome to the Shiny New Object Podcast. My name is Tom Ollerton. I'm the founder of Automated Creative and this is a weekly podcast where I get to interview someone from the industry who is inspiring, intelligent, informed and has some great experience. And this week is no different. I'm on a call with Lucrèce Sika, who is Head of Creator Marketing at Amazon Europe. Lucrèce, apologies about your pronunciation. I've done my best. But anyone who doesn't know who you are and what you do, can you tell them how to pronounce your name? But also, so how you got to where you've got to today. <laughs> Hi, Tom. Thank you for having me. Um, my name is Lucrezica. I'm, I'm the head of creative marketing for Amazon in Europe for their associate program. Um, I've been working for the past 10 years uh, across, you know, agencies and brands. And now I'm with an Amazon. Um, I studied before literature and then marketing. And I'm sure, as you can tell from my accent, I'm actually French, but I've been based in the UK for over 10 years now. Fantastic. So a lovely range of different places to work and um, congrats on the role at Amazon. But I'm guessing you broke a few eggs on the way there. What is that work fuck up that you hated yourself for making, but actually, in retrospect, you're glad you did? Yes. I think my biggest work fuck up was um taking a position actually I wasn't passionate about um it also ended up being my I think biggest learning um but that's also how I learned how you know what I love so to give you a bit more background I started my first job was at Edelman in Paris where I was a junior consultant um within the new business development team and so was working with you know brands on launching products or rebranding um, and after a few months, I started working with um, L'Oreal on the Cannes Film Festival. And I think that's where I really got kind of like a step or a foot into the industry of content creators and, and you know, working with celebrities and influencers. And after this position, I actually decided to move to London um, to continue, you know, my, my studies. And, and I did a master um, there. And after that, join a company called Like to Know It, which is a kind of like a global technology platform that connects brands and um, content creators. So I was there on the brand side, working with brands to really streamline and align their strategy across all the departments, managing accounts as well, doing some campaigns with influencers, 
whether it was for ROI traffic, brand awareness, new customer acquisition, you name it. And after a few years at RewardStar, it was time for me to make a change. Um, and I remember at the time I was applying for several brand marketing positions, but I actually ended up being hired for a position in a logistic department. So it was still new business development. So I really felt it was, you know, at the time close to my expertise, um, although it was a different industry. And I think that's where I realized it was really the wrong choice for me. I think all I could think of was, you know, developing new marketing concepts and doing new campaigns. And, and that was not my job at all. Um, so something was really missing. And I think I was really unhappy. And the thing is, I've always been very passionate about my work, um, but I could see the passion wasn't there anymore. So I knew I had to make a change quite quickly. And luckily, I found a position uh, within the same company, um, heading up the social media and influencer uh, team for Amazon Fashion, actually. And I really found my creative creativity back, you know, working on, on, on still developing the business. But that also led me to my current position. And I think the fun fact on this is that I remember when I was 15 years old, I didn't know what to do with my life, like most teenagers. And my mom actually brought me to see a family friend who was working in advertising at the time. And I remember telling him that I wanted to do something creative, but I wasn't an artist. I wanted to do something also business related, but I didn't want to work in kind of like sales or being a lawyer. And at that time, I think we didn't really talk about marketing in school. And this person looked at me and started to tell me about the fact that each morning he would take a different word, word to work and his wife would be very annoyed. And essentially his advice based on that story, which was very strange to me at the time was, you know, sometimes in life, in order to find who you are, you need to get lost. So of course, at the time I didn't get what he was trying to say. And I was even more lost after this. So it actually took me like a decade to understand, you know, what he really meant, but actually was so right for me. It meant that choosing the wrong job allowed me to understand what I really wanted and where my expertise and passion lied. Um, I was actually lucky to work with an Amazon at this time because they allowed me to change from one job to another. But yeah, it was biggest fuck up, but biggest learning. I love how an agency guy dropped a whole lot of agency BS on a 15-year-old and they didn't get it for 10 years. There's another truth in there somewhere, isn't there? Exactly. So or too, too creative for me, maybe. Thanks for being so honest about that. But I'm also keen to know, what is your top marketing tip? What is that bit of advice that you find yourself sharing most often that has stood you in good stead? I think it's 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 a hard one, actually. It seems super simple, but it's a hard one because I do receive a lot of advice. But I think in my day-to-day job, um, there are two tips that are really helping me uh, you know, scale the impact of my campaigns. I think the first one is really about automation. Um I think marketing overall is a broad topic, but you know whether you're working on acquisition, like engagement, growth, all three, I think you really need to ensure that you have the right automation process and the right tracking and reporting, of course, but especially if you're operating across several countries. So typically an example of that would be, you know, in one of my roles, I was sending some emails to new creators uh, who joined an affiliate program to educate them. 
And then I was, you know, at some point I realized, great, like if I'm sending the email in May, you know, all the creators that have joined before that will receive it. But what about the creators that are joining, you know, in June? And so I started working typically on semi-automated email series that would be automated or like that, you know, the creators will receive after two days, 15 days, 30 days after joining the program. And so that's, you know, a typical example of how you can really find ways to be more efficient, um, to scale across different countries. In my current, you know, role, I'm looking at 10 different marketplaces. Um, but also being more efficient so that you can focus on on kind of like other projects as well. Um, and of course, making sure that you have the data to analyze, you know, how well this is performing. Um, and the second one, it's very Amazonian one, but it will be, it really changed my way of working. Um, it's to move away from PowerPoint or Keynote or whatever you're using and start working, writing documents instead. So I think it's super easy. We've been, you know, used on using PowerPoints whenever we want to create a new project and it's very visual and don't get me wrong, I'm still using it sometimes, but I think it's also very distracting from the information that you're trying to, to share with your audience. Um, on the other hand, when you're writing a document, you really, you have a way to organize a bit more your thoughts and kind of like convey your uh, messaging in a more structured manner. So I think it gives a bit more clarity to do, to the audience. And I mean, believe me, it's way harder to put a strategy in a one page document because you need to write down, you know, your objectives, why you're doing this, how you're going to achieve it. But I think it also allows more kind of like exploration of, you know, your ideas, your concepts, but also you can include any kind of like evidence and research. Um, so yeah, I think it writing a doc versus a PowerPoint really allows you to stay focused on your message, but ensure that your ideas are communicated clearly and effectively. So tell me more about that. No one's talked about this in the podcast. I'm fascinated. And I've heard whispers about this kind of stuff at Amazon. So so give me an example of when you would write a document and how you go about that, how long it is, how long does it take you, how is it critiqued? Because obviously PowerPoint is the kind of school uniform of advertising, isn't it? So I'm interested to learn a different way of working. It is. So every time I would start a new project, I would actually start by writing a document. And it doesn't need, I think the best documents are not the ones that are, you know, 15 page long. Because again, I think it is harder to, you know, to write a one pager or a three pager. And the idea is really to focus on kind of like remove all the you know, objective or subjective, because typically if you're saying it's going to hire high impacts, you know, it can mean different things for, for different people, right? So instead of using big impact or high impacts, actually try in your doc to put a number next to it. And it's way harder than it looks, but at least it really allows you to stay focused on, okay, what is a big impact? What, you know, what number am I talking about? And how am I, am I going to track this as well? So whenever we're starting a project, we always write, write this doc. There might be, you know, several people as well supporting the doc from your team or from, you know, external teams. And then I think seeking some feedback from other teams as well on your project is where having a work doc is really helpful um, because it can tell you that, you know, maybe your data are, are wrong or maybe, you know, there is a way to automate typically the project that you're talking about or a new tool that, um, you know, could allow you to do that basically to reduce the timeline. So 
I think it's 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 um, a way for us to connect all together. But also, when you're talking about a postmortem, so like how well did your per- campaign perform, right? It's easier to then go back to your doc and then see everything that you set up and look at what are the learnings in terms of because you would have to you know put together what the processes looks like, etc. So. It's really easy once you have your work done for the project to then tie your postmortem and see what needs to be changed. Um, but of course, you know, having a work doc means that it's not just for you, it's also a, a good way to share it. And I think just to add on that, if you're sharing a PowerPoint sometimes with um, you know, people that have no clue what you're doing, it can be very hard for them to understand what you're talking about, where you're going. Um, and that's how you should structure your word doc to make sure that whoever is reading it, they can really understand it. Is there a specific structure or template? Everyone has their own, but definitely like, you know, overview, what are you going to, what are you trying to achieve? What are your objectives? Um, you know, what are you going to track? And then we always go back to the customer first. So like everything, you know, in the the project overview, it's always about how is it going to benefit, you know, your end goal is to benefit the customers. So how is it going to benefit your customers? Okay, look, this isn't what we were planning to talk about, but thank you. It's been, <laughs> been a been a real treat. And often on this podcast, someone says something, my brain's going, right, how do I do that? How do I do that? <laughs> thank you for indulging me. And anyone listening to this, I apologize for steering the ship in the wrong direction a bit, but hopefully that was of interest. This episode of the Shiny New Object Podcast is brought to you in partnership with Madfest. Whether it's live in London or streamed online to the global marketing community, you can always expect a distinctive and daring blend of fast-paced content, startup innovation pitches, and unconventional entertainment from Madfest events. You'll find me causing trouble on stage, recording live versions of this podcast, and sharing a beer with the nicest and most influential people in marketing. Check it out at www.madfestlondon.com. So, shiny new object time. Your shiny new object, Lucrish, is creator commerce. So anyone who's been around in marketing a while could probably guess what that means, but I want you to be specific. What is creator commerce and why should the people listening to this podcast believe it? could be their shiny new object. So creator commerce is all about content creators. So content creators, they basically have a strong following um, on social media or you know any publication online as well that really trusts their opinion. So they essentially create created products recommendation um, and their content drive either like awareness, brand loyalty, you know, can alter shopping habits. So it's supporting both creator commerce is supporting both, you know, performance-based and brand-based campaigns. And I think what I'm really passionate about is the impact of, you know, creator commerce and those new voices that are emerging every day via so many different channels that I believe are really forcing ourselves or as marketers to a marketing rethink. I think the, the, the reason why it's interesting from a marketing perspective is that they really represent a shift in the traditional approach to commerce. So, I mean, our generation, you know, we've kind of like grown up with, you know, the the first content creators, we were were used to calling them uh, bloggers. Now we're, some of them are calling them influencers, but we also realized that publishers are also 
um, you know, using kind of like links on social media to make their their audience um, purchase. And I think before, you know, we were seeing like brands and retailers that were selling their products directly to the customers. And we're shifting to a model where individual content creators, however you want to call them, influencers, they're really empowered to create now and sell, like curate almost the, what they choose to promote directly to their audience. So from a marketing perspective, it means that we need to adapt kind of like our strategies and um, we need to adapt in creating a more kind of like authentic and personalized approach to reaching customers across new platform and new channels. And I think this happens in, in three different ways mainly, but there are so many things that we're learning every day. But I think the first big takeaway is um, how to communicate you know, with your audience as a marketer being authentic. So content creators, they're often, for example, celebrated for their authentic voice, right? Like they have a unique perspective. You follow a creator because you relate to this person, you're inspired. And so you're interested in their point of view. And so it really resonates, uh, you know, with consumers there who are increasingly looking for content that is actually genuine and relatable. And I'm not saying that the data are saying that, you know, if you look at uh, how much is expected the creator commerce industry to grow. And so it means that really brands, they are rethinking their marketing strategies to incorporate more authentic storytelling, but also partnering with influencers or publishers that have a genuine interest for their products. I think it's also crucial, you know, to ensure kind of like long-term um, success of a collaboration in general. Um, but also, I think the second point is that it also raises the question about personalization, right? And niche audiences. Uh, with content creators, we've seen that they're skilled at engaging with their audience on a more personal level. They're actually creating a, a sense of community. They're engaging with them. They're interacting with them. And so their followers are actually very loyal to their brand as people. And they're really passionate about what they talk about. That, that's why everyone is looking at engagement rate, right? Like how much... Um, consumers or followers are engaging with the content that the content creator is, is posting online. And so I think as a marketer, again, it means that we're, we need to think a bit more about how we can personalize the messaging and engage with customers on a more one-to-one -one level. So for example, using technology to, you know, target certain cohorts of customers with a certain messaging rather than I think a more one size, you know, fits all uh, messaging or, or campaigns or broader campaign. Um, right. So, sorry, just to have to pause you there. So, so go back. So explain how that works, right? So someone who's new to this might be saying, okay, you get a creator to work with a brand in an authentic way and they create a video or some content and everyone sees it. But what you're saying is, no, you need to personalize. You need to have a, a different message for each audience or a different message for each person. And tell me a bit more about how that works and how you'd actually deliver that. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, it's super, it all starts with the data because whenever you're working with a content creator, you need to understand uh, who the audience is, what are their interests. And you have, in order to do that, either you're working with an affiliate platform where you can see the data, or you can use a lot of third-party tools that enable you to see a bit more, to have a bit more data on the followers of a specific content creators. Because for example, you know, if you're a fashion brand, um, 
you know, high-end fashion brand, you want to make sure that you're working with the right influencer, for example, that has this niche audience to talk to your um, customers. So it all really starts with the data in order to understand who to work with. And then I think the beauty of content creator is that usually the campaigns that performs best is the one that are using this data first and then giving the freedom to the content creator to write, you know, what they need to write about. So not necessarily being very um, prescriptive because at the end of the day, you're working with a creator because you want to reach their audience and they know better their audience because they're interacting on a daily basis with them. Um, so I would say, you know, when you share a brief with, with a content creator, leave them kind of like the freedom of creating what they know will resonate with their audience. And then when they are using affiliate links to like track links, basically on stories, on their YouTube, on any kind of platform, you can actually track the success of your campaign. So you can see how many people clicked on the link, um, you know, how many, how many people purchased the product, et cetera. And so what I'm saying in like being more personalized and reaching out new audience is that it's not necessarily working with the biggest influencers who have, you know, 1 million followers plus 5 millions, whatever you want. It's really looking at making sure you're working with the right person for your right messaging that will convey that to their niche audience. And actually, you know, when I look at that, I can see that. So, and it's, I, I know it's always surprising for a lot of brands, but some of the top converters, as in some of the people that have more power to drive sales, are actually have a very small following. And it's all about the fact that they have a very engaged and niche audience. Yeah, that's interesting. And with our work at Automated Creative, one of the things that we've noticed across many of our brands, many of our categories is that influencers can be great for driving consideration. So you know, mm -hmm. I, I am a person who is inf influenced by uh, Lucrez, for example. And you say, I like this product. You should go and check it out. And I go, because I like you, I'll go and look at it. So I will consider it. Yeah. But it won't necessarily make me convert. And I think that's all about the data that you're looking at first, right? Like, because I think creator commerce is all about this. You have so many types of what people call influencers. You have celebrities, you have, you know, kind of like trendsetters, but you also have e-commerce influencers that are creating this habit. And it's, you know, there is a lot of work behind as well because they need to create the habits um, of, you know, their followers clicking on the products, knowing where to find the right products. And I think now, because there are so many new tools and new platforms that are emerging, it's easier for them to actually create the link and, you know, make sure that they're um, adding that on a daily basis, on a regular basis to their content as well. But that's that's also a lot of education, us, you know, educating influencers and creators, but also the creators educating their audience. And I'm sure if you follow someone, I'm sure you follow a lot of people on, on, on Instagram or TikTok or Twitch, Tom. Of course, yeah. Um, you know, if you know where to find the products, then it increases the conversion rate as well, because... You might have seen something, you know, on the contents from a specific content creator like a month ago and you didn't buy it, but then you, you know, remember it, you want to find it back. And so having these links, you know, make sure that actually if you want to purchase it after three weeks, you'll be able to find it. So what's the best way to get 
started with creator commerce from a brand perspective so maybe there's some brands listening to this who have thought well we should probably be doing this but don't really know how what what are the first three things you should do to set you up for success i think the first one will be make sure that you're putting in place some tracking because if you don't have the tracking it's going to be hard for you to uh, you know, actually see what the success of the campaign is. So whether you're already working with an affiliate marketing platform or you're setting up your own tracking, some, you know, some brands are doing it in-house and they're, you know, setting up their tracking manually um, or you're working with any other platform. I think that's the, the first starting point because from there you will see, be able to um, to access any data that you need to. Um, the second one is whenever you're looking at creating a campaign, again, whether it's with influencers or publishers, so any publication as well, um, I think it's really about making sure that you're very clear on your objectives. So a lot of time I've seen so many brands coming to me and saying, you know, I want to do a campaign because I want to raise the awareness, but I also want to kind of like change the brand positioning, but I also want to drive sales and traffic. And I think it's super important to kind of like define your objective and being a bit more mindful about your objective. What is your primary objective? If your primary objective is to drive sales, then you need to look at creators that are driving sales for your competitors, for example. If your primary objective is brand awareness, then follower number might be important for you and then the engagement rate of a specific content creator. But all of this to say that it changes a lot how your, you know, how the impact and the success of your campaign. And then the third one, I think, is really about understanding what came out of the collaboration. So often as well, you know, brands are working with content creators, it's generating impressions, but they're not necessarily deep diving into how did how was it, you know, uh, perceived from an audience perspective. And so um Again, if you have an affiliation platform, if you have this data, then you can uh, understand a bit more your audience based on that um, and then continue to test and evolve. But, you know, having a, a very, I think it's important to have a very clear and honest conversation as well about influencers or content creators, publications as well. And being very clear on what are your expectations are, because at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's a collaboration, it's a partnership, it's a win-win, you know, if this is successful, it's a win-win for everyone. So I think um, it all starts with after being set up on the right tool, it all starts with um, having a brief that is very clear. Well, unfortunately, we're over time here. And that's my fault for asking too many questions before. But if someone wants to carry on talking to you about creator commerce, where is the best place to get in touch with you? And what makes the best message to you that gets you to reply to them? Uh, definitely, I would say LinkedIn. Um, and the best way uh, is to say, you know, what you're interested in and and talk a bit more about yourself as well. I think that's very important. Fantastic. So, Lukash, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Tom. Hi. 
Just before you go, I'd really appreciate it if you could take the time to write a review of the Shiny New Object Podcast on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, whatever it's called these days, or whichever podcast provider you use. We're an indie podcast, so it would go a long way for us if you could just share the word and give us a bit of a support on those channels. That would just be fantastic. If you haven't got time, that's also cool. And yeah, if you could tell your colleagues about the podcast and also, if possible, don't forget to subscribe and I'd love to hear your feedback uh, if you'd like to speak on the podcast or be a guest or you think I'm asking the wrong questions anything I'd be super interested to hear what you think so please email me at tom at automatedcreative.net that's t-o-m at uh, I'm not going to bother spelling it anyway you'll work it out thanks so much